So whenever I was in junior high, how many junior highers are there in here tonight? Quite a few, all right. So whenever I was in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I considered myself an atheist. Like, I, I didn't go to church or anything like that. I, and I considered, like, I didn't believe in God. Like, if you would have asked me, like, do you believe in God? I would have said, no, I don't believe in God. Like, I believe, like, if I died right now, it would just turn into um, nothing. And that's, that's what I believed. Hey, Trude, can you turn down the mic just a little bit? Don't want to ring everyone's ears again. Um, so that's, that's how I was whenever I was in junior high, in, all the way up until eighth grade. And then in eighth grade, there was um, this guy who, who was a youth sponsor. He was kind of like somebody like John or Josh or Maverick or any of the others. And he went to my church, but he was part of the youth group. Um, but he would go to, to school lunches, and he would bring lunch to students who went to the church. And there was a couple of kids in the eighth grade who, who went to this church um, in West Tulsa. And this guy, his name was Rick Thomas, and he would come and he would bring pizza to these guys every week. Um, and one day, Rick, he invited one of my best friends to come to church. He didn't invite me. I don't know. I wasn't around at the time, I guess. Um, but he invited my best friend to come to church. And my best friend, he's like, hey, you need to come to church with me. Um, I, I'm going for the first time. I was invited. And I was like, no, I don't want to go to church. Like, why would I want to go? I got better things to do. I can go and, and work out or something. Like, I was, I was real big into working out in eighth grade. Um, but that's, that's what I did. I said, no, I made excuses and I said, I don't want to go to church. So he said, fine, I'll go anyway. So he went and then he came back and he said, dude, you have to come to church. Like it was so much fun. Like there was, we played basketball. There was all these games. They had pizza, all the pizza you could eat. There's so many girls. There's so many people. It was a lot of fun. It's okay, fine. I'll go. And so that's how I started coming to church. It was for pizza, girls, and basketball. You know, I mean, I was in eighth grade. Do you get me, Andrew? Do you get me, right? Pizza girls and basketball, there you go. Um, but that's how I started coming to church. So going into our verse, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and he told his disciples, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of age. See, the disciples, there's 12 of them. At this point, there's only 11. One of them, he, he did something bad. He's not a part of them. But there's 11 disciples. And they have been with Jesus for three years. They had just given up their whole life to follow Jesus. They left behind their family. They left behind their friends. They had jobs. They left behind their jobs, their house. Everything, they have been everything, and they followed Jesus for three years. And so they go, and they see everything that Jesus does. They, they see him walk on water. They see him do all these things. And so at this point in the story, Jesus is talking to those disciples. But this is a crazy part, is that three days or 13 days before this, Jesus died. Jesus was crucified on a cross. He died. And the 11 disciples, they go running. They go hiding because they think that they're next. But then Jesus, he rises from the dead. He resurrects and he visits the disciples and he visits other people. The Bible says up to 500 people. And then Jesus, he's about to leave the disciples for good. So he, he get this, he dies. Okay, that's really bad. And then he rises from the dead. Okay, that's really surprising. And then he appears to them and they freak out. And now he drops this on them. He says, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Now go. See, now the disciples... 
they had been learning a lot over the last three years following Jesus. I mean, if you could follow Jesus for three years, like you, like we'd be different people, right? Like they saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus pray, and then all of a sudden there was enough food from one basket to feed 5,000 people. They saw Jesus pray, and, and a, a girl rise from the dead. But not only that, they heard all the teachings that Jesus ever taught, the Sermon on the Mount, everything. They even had personal Bible studies with Jesus himself. The disciples have been learned a lot. They knew a lot. But Jesus says, now is the time to go. Now they were to go and make other disciples. Now they were to go and to extend the kingdom. Now they were to go and put into practice everything they had been learning. Now was the time to go and to build the church. In a few weeks, we're going to start a series called My Revival. We're going to look at how the church started, what that looked like, everything it did. But tonight, I want to focus on those two words in that verse, therefore, go. What does it mean for us to go? What does it mean for us to go? Because that, does, that is what Jesus told the disciples, but that is what Jesus is telling us tonight. Every Christian since then is therefore go. Just like the disciples, we've been learning a lot. Like we've, we've been learning a lot uh, over this past year, this past summer. We learned what worship means. We learned how to worship. We learned um, what, all that, what all worship means for us in the Raise a Hallelujah series that we did in March. We learned about the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us in a Wasted Grave series in April. We learned about the answer and, and the solution to depression and anxiety and what happens when loneliness happens. We learned about that in our No Perfect People Allowed series in May. We learned a lot at church camp. We learned a lot from our Words of Jesus series in Luke chapter 12. We learned about the grace of God. We learned that there's nothing that we can ever do to earn God's love. But he gives salvation to us freely. And then we also learned about the holy wrath of God, that God, that Jesus is coming. He's coming to judge the earth. And he's coming to judge it. We learned all that. And now Jesus is saying, go. He says, you're ready. You have all what it takes. You have what you need. Now go. So what does it mean to make, what does it mean to go? What it means to go, Jesus says, go and make disciples. A disciple is basically a student. Like if you're in class, like you are that, stu- that teacher's disciple. But basically as Christians, we are all disciples of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is learning. And so as the disciple, we're learning from Jesus. We're supposed to be discipled daily. Like there's disciplines. Like whenever we read the Bible, we come to church, we're being discipled. But to go, to make disciples is to bring more people into the fold. To bring more people in. To go is to leave this church, to leave this youth room with a mission on your heart. When Jesus says that it's time for us to go, it means to tell people about Jesus. It means to tell people about his death and his resurrection. It means to tell people about Jesus' grace and his forgiveness, that Jesus can and he will forgive your sins. It's to tell people about Jesus' holy wrath and his coming judgment. It's to tell people of what Jesus did in your life. Because if you've been saved, if you're a Christian, if you said yes to Jesus, Jesus is doing a work in your life. To go is to tell people what Jesus did in your life and then what he can do in your friend's life as well. To go is to always live and to be an example of what Jesus looks like to your friends and family. Now, if you're like me, like I hate being persuaded. Like if someone is trying to persuade me on something, like they're trying to sell me on something, there's something twisted inside me that I do the opposite. 
Like I hate, like if I'm going to make a decision, it's not going to be because someone told me I should do it. It's going to be because I made the decision for myself. Is anybody else like that? Just me? Okay. Okay, fine. That's fine. But if, if you're anything like me, I like to know why. Like if you're going to, if you're going to try to persuade me, I at least want to know why. I want to know all the facts so I can make the decision for myself. So here's why we should go and make disciples. Why should we go? The first reason is because Jesus told us to. Like, come on, that's a no-brainer. Jesus tells the disciples, like, if, if someone goes around for three years doing all these miracles, walking on water, and then he says, hey, guys, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. Don't worry about it. And then actually pulls that off. If someone does that and they pull off their own resurrection, I would listen to that guy, right? Like, if I told you tomorrow I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead on Friday, and I did it, like, what would you think of me? Okay, I asked the wrong person. That would be impressive, right? Like, I would listen to that guy if they predicted their own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. But not only that, Jesus says that I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. All authority. Why should we go? Jesus tells us to. Second reason, why should we go? It's the only way that the church will grow. The church is not a building. Like, you think that you came to church today. You're wrong. This is not a church. This is just a building. You are the church. The church is a group of people. The church is people reaching people. The church is us living the life that Jesus is calling us to live. We are here today because somebody told somebody about Jesus, who told somebody else about Jesus, who told somebody else about Jesus. Think about this. There's billions of Christians around the globe today. There's been billions of Christians who lived that history, and it started with these 11 disciples who Jesus said, go. Somebody told, I'm telling you about Jesus. Somebody told me about Jesus. Somebody told that person about Jesus. And that's how this thing continues. But don't get me wrong. is that The church will grow with or without you. Jesus tells us to go. And the only way it's going to grow, the only way the church is going to grow is that if people keep telling people about Jesus, if people keep hearing about the gospel, the gospel changes lives, and we can change people's lives if we tell them about that. But don't get me wrong, the church will grow with or without you. Because Jesus, he's talking to the disciples before all this, before he ever dies. And he's, he says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, he answers correctly, he says, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the one that we've been waiting on. And Jesus says, yes, that is true. And then this is what he says to him after that. He says, and now I'm going to tell you who you are, who you really are. Jesus says to Peter, he says, you are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I'm going to put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Let that, let that verse, let that imagery sink in your mind. Imagine what the gates of hell look like. They probably look really strong. They probably look really scary. They probably look impenetrable. The gates of hell, they're like nothing can get out of that. But Jesus says that this church that I'm starting, that you guys are going to start, you're gonna, that this is going to happen, it's going to go with so much energy that not even the gates of hell are going to be able to withstand it. So the church is going to grow with or without you. But Jesus says the church is going to win. We have victory in the end. And so do you really want to be left out of that for sure victory? Jesus says in Luke 10 too, he says, these are the destructions he told them. He says, the harvest is great. Any farmers in here? Anybody know any farmers? Okay, yes. The harvest is something that you gather in. It, it, it's fruit, it's crops. It, it's, and Jesus said that the harvest is great. 
There, it's plentiful. Everything is right. There's so much stuff out there. He said, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. He says, there's so much out there. There's so much stuff, but there's not enough people to bring it in. Pray that there'll be more people to bring it in so that it doesn't go to waste. And the harvest that Jesus is talking about is people who don't know Jesus. He says, there's so many people who don't know Jesus. There's so many people who want to know about Jesus. We need to pray that there'll be people to bring them in because there's not enough people to bring in that harvest. Jesus is saying that to us because we know that's still true today. We know that there are people who don't know or follow Jesus. Like most of you guys started school today. Did you bump into anybody who does not follow Jesus? One person, at least one person, right? Jesus, it's, it's true today. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. There's a lot of them. And Jesus says that we're supposed to pray for there to be enough people to reap the harvest or to make disciples of those people. But here's the plot twist, is that you are the answer to that prayer. Jesus prayed that prayer that there be enough workers to bring in the harvest, and you are the answer to that. The disciples, they prayed that same prayer, and, and we are the answer. We are the workers to bring in the harvest. There are parents and there's grandparents praying for their, their students at your school that somebody would tell them about Jesus, and you are the answer to that prayer. People are waiting to be asked to go to church. People are literally dying to want to follow Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Think about it. Think about people who, who face depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Just even a little bit. We all face it a little bit. People are trying to fill a God-sized hole in their heart with something so small that it, it can never add up. I know that because I was that person. In 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, I tried to fill that hole in my heart. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be like, I wanted to find all those good things, but I never found it. And I filled those holes in my heart. I tried to find the answer in alcohol. I would get, I would drink alcohol every weekend. I would try to find the answer now. I tried to fit in. I tried to be accepted. I tried to try to feel good. I'd fill it in with drugs. I'd fill it in with pornography. I try to fill that God-sized hole in my heart and nothing filled me. And there's people like that who, who are waiting to go to church, but and I knew a lot of people in my school who went to church. I knew a lot of people in Glimple who, who were Christians, who were, at least said they said they were Christians. But do you know why I didn't go to church in sixth grade? Do you know why I didn't go to church in seventh grade? Or even halfway through eighth grade? It's, nobody invited me. Like if someone would invite me, I probably would have went. But I didn't go until somebody invited me. There are people waiting to be invited. Who at your school Who's in your class? Who is on your team who's waiting to be invited? Just invited. Third reason, why should we go? Jesus told us to. If it's the only way the church will go. The third reason, if we don't go, who will? One of the greatest and heaviest passages on, on going is in Romans chapter 10. It talks about how people can be saved, but then it talks about the people who are responsible for that. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him 
will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It sounds easy enough, right? Like all people have to do is just believe in Jesus, declare him as Lord. They just have to do that. But here's the problem. Verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Like you can't call, you can't ask Jesus to save you if you don't believe in Jesus. You have to first believe. But how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. If we don't go, who will? And if not you, then who? Jesus is asking us to take this mission personally. Because we are personally responsible to make sure everyone hears the gospel and everyone hears about Jesus. Don't get me wrong, we're not personally responsible if someone chooses to reject Jesus. Because if they choose to reject Jesus, they reject the good news, that, that's on them. That's between them and God whenever judgment day comes. But we are responsible to make sure at least everyone has the opportunity to hear about Jesus. That is our responsibility. So my question is how? Maybe you're convinced that we should go. Maybe you're intrigued or maybe you feel a little bit convicted to make, maybe I should go. Maybe I should do this because all these things, Jesus tells me to. If no one does, then who will? Maybe I will. But you're asking the question, how am I supposed to go? How do I do it? What do I say? What do I do? Here's the easiest way to go. Like if, you're, if you want step-by-step -step question, how, how do I do this? How do I fulfill this commission? Here's the easiest one. And it's easy because it's kind of like, it's not impressive because it's like hitting a baseball on a tee. Or it's like riding a bike or the tricycle. Like if you do it, it's like good job, but like that's not enough. So here's the easiest way to go. It's an easy 10-step process. That's do you want to come to church with me? Question mark. It's all right there. Do you want to come to church with me? It's a 10-step process. That's the easiest way. If you want to go, if you want to make disciples, that is the easiest way to go and make disciples. But like I said, it's not enough. It works. Like it, it's effective because that's how I started coming to church. That's how I became a Christian because someone just invited me to go. But there's more to it. So here's the more difficult one. So that's the easiest. If you want to obey, if you want to go, Say, do you want to come to church with me? Now, it worked on me. It didn't work the first time. Remember, it took me the second time for me to go because they were persistent. But here's the more difficult one. The more difficult way of going is to start taking this thing seriously. It's to start doing good things. It might look like just picking up trash, serving your school, serving your friends. It might look like holding the door open for somebody. Maybe you're praying over your food before you eat lunch. Like, that can be a bold statement. Like, who, who prays over the food at lunch? Like, like, that's pretty bold. Maybe it's carrying your Bible to school. Maybe it's, maybe it's just being a good person. Like, if people see the change in your life, they're going to ask, what happened? This is how I invited most of, my, most of my friends to church. Like, I hardly had to use the first one. I hardly just had to walk up to somebody and say, hey, do you want to come to church with me? Because to be honest, like if I did that to a random stranger, like it probably wouldn't have worked and it probably would have been really awkward. But how did, how did I get all my friends to come to church with me? They saw the change that happened in my life. They saw that I was a different person. 
I was carrying my Bible with me. I was praying in the, um, over my lunch. I was serving people. I was making sure I was picking up the trash. I was trying to hold open the door for people. People saw a change in me. And so as a result, they asked me, hey, wh- what happened? Like, why are you a different person? Like, wh- is this thing real? Is this thing true? Where do you go to church at? And so that opened the door for me to ask them, hey, you should come to church with me. You should come see what this is all about. And there's even sometimes that people would ask me to pray for them right there in school. And there's a couple people I even led to Jesus while at school. Why? It's nothing that I, I did. It's, I just started taking this thing seriously, and they saw the change. People saw the light in me. Do people see light in you? Do people see a change in you? Do people see that this thing is serious? But there's a warning to that. When you live your life like Jesus did, when you start taking this thing seriously, you will face persecution. You will lose friends. People will think that you're weird. People will feel convicted. There's a couple of friends I had whenever I started coming to church, they wanted nothing to do with me after they were my best friends. We got in a lot of trouble in middle school. They were my best friends. We did a lot of stuff together. But as soon as I started going to church, they, I hardly talked to any of them since then. You will lose friends. People will make fun of you. You will face persecution. It will be hard, but you will be making an eternal difference. You will be making a difference that lasts for eternity. And that's, that's the vision of, of, the, of this youth group. The vision is that people would come and they feel like they belong, that this is a community that you can feel like you can belong um, and you don't have to be perfect to be accepted. This is a place that I want people to come and they can discover hope for themselves. That They might be going through some dark times. They might be facing anxiety, depression. They come and they can discover hope. They can come and they can grow in the relationship with God. But this is a place that I ultimately want to be where they go out and they make a difference. Like if we come and we just belong, we just get hope, we just grow in relationship with God, we become stagnant. We become like a, like a lake that doesn't have any water going out of it, and that is a lake that you can't drink out of. We become stagnant. We have to release, and we have to make a difference. A difference that is eternal. I do a lot of research. I do a lot of reading. In this generation, our generation, is a generation that wants to make an impact on this world. We want to change this world for good and not for bad. We, we don't want to just coast through. We want to make a difference. The best way to make a difference is a difference that doesn't just last for a day. It doesn't just last for a week, but a difference that lasts for eternity, and that's people saying yes to Jesus. The band will go ahead and come back. The easiest way. Do you want to come to church with me? Something that's more difficult Actually living it, actually being an example, actually taking it seriously. That's a little bit more difficult. But here's the expectation. Here's what the Bible actually lays out of what is expected of you. Jesus says, go and make disciples. But then other parts of the New Testament, it gets, it gets more, more um, expectations. The expectation is whenever you live your life, whenever you say yes to Jesus, you're expected to die to your old self and step into a new self. To step into a new life. And that life that you're stepping into is supposed to look like Jesus. The expectation, the way to make disciples is to live your life like Jesus. To be an example of what true freedom from sin looks like. That was all right. The expectation 
is to be an example of what true joy looks like. We are expected to be an example of what true peace looks like, to be, to be an example of what true hope looks like. When people look at you, they're supposed to see Jesus. Jesus was perfect. Jesus made no mistakes. Jesus was the perfect human. He was truly free from sin. He truly had joy. He truly had hope. He truly had peace. And we are expected to live like Jesus. And that is the expectation that is on us. But you actually can't do that. You can't live like Jesus. You can't be perfect. You can't do those things. It is impossible. You cannot truly have freedom over sin. You cannot truly have joy. You cannot truly have hope or peace. It is impossible on your own. You'll be faking it. If you try to show people what it looks like to be free from sin, if you try to show people, like, I truly have joy, I truly have a hope, if you try to do that on your own, you'll be faking it. And people can smell that a mile away. But because of Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, you can have all those things. Because Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus was the perfect example. And when you say yes to Jesus, he gives that to you to live. He empowers you. Jesus says this in verse 18. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. I don't know how, if you know what authority looks like, but authority is somebody has authority over you. That person has authority over that person. And there's always a hierarchy. But Jesus says, I've been given all authority. I created the universe. I now have authority over everything in the universe and I have authority over everything on earth. And now I'm telling you to go. Jesus says, I'm in charge. I'm in charge and I'm empowering you. You don't have to be perfect because I'm, perf- I'm perfect and I'm gonna be living inside you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be free from sin because I am free from sin and I'm gonna empower you to be free from sin. And Jesus says this in verse 20, he says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Jesus expects us, there's the expectation to be like Jesus, to be free from sin. But Jesus says, I've been given authority and I'm telling you to go. Take my authority and go. And Jesus says, I'm gonna be with you. I'm not gonna leave you. You don't have to do this alone. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. And Jesus says, I will be with you. Jesus was the perfect example. He lived the perfect life. And we say yes to him. Whenever we say yes and we accept him, we say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. The Bible says that you can have freedom from sin. You can be free from those addictions. You can have true joy. You don't have to look in the wrong places anymore. That joy can be yours. You don't have to have a fake hope. You can have a true hope that lasts for eternity. You can have that. You can have peace. Jesus says that these are yours when you accept him because Jesus lived that perfect life. He has those and he gives those freely to us. And you can have the power to be an example and make an eternal difference. Jesus says, go. But Jesus says, I will be with you. We can't do it alone. We have to have Jesus side by side with every head bowed and every eye closed.